So we're going to just dive right into God's Word. I know we just prayed, but I always feel my weakness right before I'm about to try to teach or preach God's Word and uh, how much I need God to supernaturally speak to us through His Word. And I hope you feel that too. I hope you feel how much you need God's supernatural Holy Spirit power when you try to receive God's Word. So let's pray together again before we begin to read it. Would you bow with me? Father, you can make spiritually dead people come to life through the power of your word about Jesus Christ, the good news of Jesus Christ. And you can transform us by the renewal of our minds. You can make it so that we leave here different from how we came in through the power of your word. And we ask that you would do that now, that this would not be Matt Broadway sharing some thoughts about Scripture, but this would be you speaking to us through your word. Would you please bless us in that way? In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Today, as we're moving along through Mark, we're going to look at Jesus through the lens of Peter. Many of you are familiar with Peter. Uh, We have great reason to believe that this book of Mark was written by Mark from Peter's recollections of his time with Jesus. And so Peter relayed that on to Mark, and through the Holy Spirit, Mark put it down in Holy Scripture, immortalized now to be in our hands, speaking to us today. But the sermon and the texts that we're going to read are not actually about Peter. They're about Jesus Christ. That's what the book of Mark is about, Jesus, not any of the individual other people involved, not even about us. It's about Jesus. So we're looking at Jesus through the lens of Peter, and my prayer is that as we do so, your faith in Jesus as your Savior will be nourished, and your allegiance to Jesus as your Lord will be strengthened. That's what I've been asking God to do through this passage. What we're going to see is that Jesus loves and still uses Christians who are willing but weak. So in order for you to connect with this, I want to encourage you to get in touch with your weakness right now. Think about your own weakness. What is weak about you that thwarts your spiritual ambitions? So the the Christian you that you aspire to be based on God's word, what are your particular weaknesses that hinder you from getting there? Okay, now don't say it out loud, just have it in mind as we read, because I think that is our connecting place to connect with looking at Jesus through the lens of Peter. So first, let's look at Peter's willingness. We'll see that in verses 26 through 31. Of Mark chapter 14. Mark chapter 14, starting at verse 26. This is right after he instituted the Lord's Supper, what we talked about last week. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And Jesus said to them, You will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. So Jesus had just pretty recently during the supper said, one of you is going to betray me. 
And all the disciples were like, no way, no, it's not me, is it? Surely not. We wouldn't do that. And it turned out it was Judas. Judas was, in the meantime, as what we're reading right now, perpetrating, perpetrating his betrayal against Jesus. And now Jesus says, it's worse than just that. It's not just that one of you is going to betray me. All of you who have followed me around for these three years have left everything to follow me. All of you is going to fall away from me tonight. That phrase, fall away, he used it before in the parable of the sower. Remember, some of the seeds would fall on a certain type of soil where they would spring up right away. These are people who would initially be very enthusiastic about Jesus, but as soon as persecution or tribulation came along, they would fall away. And that's what Jesus was saying about all of his disciples. You're all going to fall away tonight. And then he quotes Zechariah 13.7. That's what he's saying when he says, It is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. So he's saying, you're all going to fall away. And this is not a surprise to me or the Father. This was written about long ago. Verse 28. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. So here he's saying, you're all going to fall away. This is no surprise to me or the Father. And it's not going to thwart God's plans. I will be raised up and I'll go before you to Galilee. Now let's look at the disciples' response. Peter said to him, even though they all fall away, I will not. So here's Peter. If you know Peter at all from scripture, this isn't a surprise response. No way, Jesus. All these other losers might fall away. Peter does not fall away. Jesus, I can't imagine what Jesus' expression on his face must have been, but All right, Peter. Jesus said to him, verse 30, Truly I tell you, this very night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But Peter said emphatically, If I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. So if you'll remember earlier in Mark, this isn't the first time that Peter basically rebukes Jesus and says, You're wrong. Back in chapter 8, Peter's the first one of the disciples to say, yes, you are the Messiah. You are the King of kings. You are the Lord. And then Jesus said, you're right, but I'm going to have to suffer and die. That's the kind of king that I have to be. I have to absorb God's wrath for you in death on the cross in order for you to be saved from your sins. And you remember Peter's response then. He rebuked Jesus. Just after he said, you're the Lord, he said, no, you're wrong. I'm never going to let that happen. And Jesus said, get behind me, Satan, which is pretty stern. And here Peter is again. He still really hasn't changed at all. Jesus is telling them, this is going to happen. You're going to fall away, but I will be raised, and I'll meet you in Galilee. And this is all according to what Scripture has said. And here's Peter, just his mouth moves before his brain catches up. And he says, no way. You're wrong, Jesus Christ, Messiah and Lord. I will not fall away. I will die before I fall away. So you see his willingness here. I think Peter believed what he was saying here. Don't you think so? He was extremely willing to follow Jesus and not fall away, even if it meant he would die. He had the will, but he had a lot of weakness as well. In the next section, we see the first hints of his weakness here. Let's read on in verse 32. And they went to a place called Gethsemane. 
And he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John. These are sort of the core three of the group. And began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little farther, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. So this, this is a major section of scripture. And this is what we'll look at more in depth next week. But for now, just notice, he brought three of the disciples, including Peter, and said, I have some serious praying to do. My time has come, and I need to pray, and I need you to be watchful with me in prayer. That word uh, there um, in verse 34, remain here and watch, is the same language that he used back a couple chapters before when he was talking about the end times, and he said, stay awake and be watchful and be on guard. It's that same kind of language. I need you now to be with me and to be watchful and prayerful with me. And then Jesus goes into this agonizing time of prayer with the Father, if there's any other way that this cup can pass from me. Now remember what he was about to face. Yes, he was about to face betrayal and arrest and mockery and physical pain and beating and then the cross, which was the most brutal way to die. But I don't think that is exactly what he was so agonized over. I think he was agonizing over the cup And the cup was the cup of the Father's wrath for the sin of mankind. He was about to become sin so that we sinners could become his righteousness before God. This is all of redemption history is pointing to this. This is an extremely important juncture for Jesus and all of God's people. And he asked Peter and the others, just watch. Watch in prayerfulness with me. And then in verse 37 Jesus came and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, all three of them were sleeping, but he specifically says to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? You who said that everybody else would fall away, you would never fall away. You who said even if it meant you would be killed, you would never fall away. Can you not stay awake with me? On this night, when I'm agonizing over the Father's cup of wrath about to be poured out upon me, Peter was willing, but he was weak. Verse 38, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Now, to try to understand Peter a little bit, I think it's helpful to contrast him with Judas. Both of these men were disciples. They had both left everything to follow Jesus, and yet both failed Jesus here in this climactic hour. Now, what's the difference between Judas and Peter? Judas's story ended in his hopelessness and suicide. Peter's story ended in his redemption becoming a leader of the apostles, writing two of the books of the New Testament. So what's the difference between these two? Well, Judas perpetrated 
an intentional betrayal and rebellion against Jesus. He thought about it beforehand. He planned it out. He followed it through with a hard heart, never repenting. Peter, on the other hand, had a soft heart that wanted to do right by Jesus. But his weakness tripped him up and he failed. Now that's a really important distinction and we'll talk more about it. But as you had your own weakness in mind, this is a helpful distinction as you do some self-examination. Now we all have weakness and we all sin. The question isn't, are you perfect or imperfect? We're all imperfect. That's why we need Jesus Christ, the only perfect one. But the question is, down at the core... Do you have a hard heart that ultimately just wants what it wants and doesn't really care about Jesus Christ and God's ways? Or do you have a soft heart that though you may get tripped up in your weakness and though you may sin, ultimately what you want is to honor God through your faith and allegiance to Jesus? That's an important distinction. Just hold that in your mind as we continue to read on. Indeed, The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again, Jesus went away and prayed, saying the same words. And again, he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. Now, let's sympathize a little bit with Peter. He has had a very long and emotional day and a very intense period of time leading up to this day. Have you ever had just an intensely emotional day and just give in to that emotional exhaustion at the end of it? Where nothing can keep you awake anymore. You're, you're just, the adrenaline is gone and you cannot stay awake. Has that ever been the case for you? I mean, I suspect that's sort of what Peter and these guys were experiencing. I mean, sometimes it's hard. You come into a sermon with the best of intentions of being alert and you do, your eyes are heavy. Your eyelids are heavy. I see it from up here. I know that that's something that you can all relate to. It's not absurd for Peter to struggle to stay awake all night after an exhausting and emotionally draining series of days, and especially the day leading up to that. But he fell asleep. He failed Jesus right after he said he wouldn't. And Jesus came the third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It is enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. So there we see the first glimpse of Peter's willingness thwarted by his weakness. Now let's zoom ahead a little bit. Jesus is indeed betrayed and arrested, dragged before the Jewish officials for his first trial. Peter is the only disciple that follows. All the disciples scatter once Jesus is arrested, but Peter follows along, but at a safe distance because he's... He wants to be there, but he doesn't want to also be arrested. So he follows along, and then if you'll zoom ahead to verse 66 of chapter 14, we'll see his ultimate weakness, verses 66 through 72. I just want you to try to put yourself in his place here. Your leader has just been arrested. He's not standing beside you to tell you what to do or to protect you. All your fellow disciples have dispersed. You're all by yourself in enemy territory here. He's in the courtyard of the high priest. Inside, Jesus is being interrogated, and he's been arrested. Verse 66, And as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came. And seeing seeing Peter 
warming himself, she looked at him and said, You also were with the Nazarene Jesus. Okay, so you're Peter. Everything has just blown up. The man that you've been following as your Savior and Lord is arrested and in captivity. He's told you he's going to be put to death. A big angry mob is the one who did it, and you're kind of now in the midst of that mob in this courtyard. And this servant girl, in of herself, she would not have been intimidating at all, sees you in the light of the fire and says, wait a minute, I've seen you with this man Jesus. You're one of them, aren't you? How would you respond? Let's see what Peter does. Verse 68. But Peter denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. And he went out into the gateway, and the rooster crowed. So here's Peter's first denial. This is a light one. He doesn't deny Jesus here. He denies that he even understood what the, little, what the girl was saying. And I, could, I can really relate to this one. I think I might have tried something like this too. Hey, you're one of them. You're with this Nazarene Jesus, aren't you? What? I, it's so loud out here. I'm sorry. I couldn't understand what you said. And I got to get going anyway. But it's good to see you. Y'all have a good night. Fade into the shadows, away from the fire, into the dark, hoping, hoping not to get found out. Verse 69, and the servant girl saw him. She will not leave him alone. And the servant girl saw him and began again to say to the bystanders, this man is one of them. But again, he denied it. So now the little girl is not even talking to Peter. She's talking to all the other people that Peter didn't want to get wind of the fact that he was with Jesus. And she's saying, everybody come here and look at that guy in the shadows over there. I saw him by the fire. I know I recognized him as being one of these Jesus followers. He pretended he couldn't understand what I was saying, and he slinked away into the shadows. But I'm pretty sure this is one of Jesus' followers. He says Peter denied it. We don't know exactly what he said, but he denied it. And after a little while, the bystanders again said to Peter, certainly you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. So I guess when he was denying it, they picked up on his accent, that he wasn't from Jerusalem, he was from Galilee. And they said, you know, I think this little servant girl is right. You sound like you're from the same region as Jesus and his followers. Certainly you are one of them. And here it comes. This is the, this is the ultimate failure. Verse 71. But Peter began to invoke a curse on himself. And to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. Let me be cursed if what I'm saying is not true. I don't know this man. I do not know this man of whom you speak. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. And that is almost the last we hear about Peter in the book of Mark. Now, it would have made sense for Peter to slink away, go back to fishing, ashamed of himself, hoping that people would just forget. But that isn't Peter's destiny. And you guys know your Bibles well enough to know that this wasn't the end of Peter's story. In fact, after the resurrection over in chapter 16... When the man in the tomb was talking to the women, and he said there in verse 6, 
Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth who is crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. Peter went on to be filled with the Holy Spirit along with the other disciples. He went on to meet with Jesus after his resurrection and receive the Great Commission. He went on to be really the leader, the most vocal of the apostles. He went on to write first and second Peter, two letters that are in our holy scriptures. Even after his weakness brought about such colossal falling away and failure. Now, I just have two observations about Jesus I want to point out, and then two applications for us. First, as we look at Jesus through the lens of Peter, you might have noticed that Jesus knew Peter's weakness. Jesus knows our weakness. He knows specifically our weaknesses, but in general, he knows the fact that we are weak. That even when our spirit may be willing, our flesh often is weak. Psalm 103.14 says, For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. Hebrews 4.15 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. So that weakness that you brought to mind at the beginning, Jesus is very well aware of that. Just like he knew Peter would fall away, that he would deny him. The second thing I just want to point out about Jesus, Jesus uses weak followers. He didn't discard Peter after this. He didn't say, you have failed the test, you're gone. He uses weak followers. Romans 5, 6. For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. 1 Corinthians 1, 27. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. 1 Corinthians 12, 22. The parts of the body that seem to be weaker are actually indispensable. So God knows our weakness. He knows your weakness. Jesus Christ knows your weakness, and Jesus uses weak followers. And that brings me to the two applications I want to point out. The first one, don't mistake your weaknesses for hopelessness. Some of you probably have some pretty colossal failures in your spiritual walk. I mean, I know I do. But that doesn't mean that you're hopeless. It doesn't mean that you, since you have failed to perform at this level, that God has no use for you. The second application, don't throw away weak Christians. Some of you may have people in your lives that are Christians and they followed Christ, but then they, due to their weakness, stumbled in some way and committed some sin, some maybe horrific sin. That doesn't mean that they are to just be discarded and that there's no hope for them. What makes the difference, the key, it isn't so much the willingness or the weakness, it's what Peter did at the end of his story there. And he broke down and wept. I think that's what made the biggest difference for Peter. How 
do you respond when your weaknesses thwart your willingness in your walk with Jesus Christ? Do you try to justify yourself? Do you compare yourself with someone who's doing worse than you to try to make yourself feel better? Do you try to blame other people or circumstances for it? Or do you do like Peter in humility and soft-heartedness and brokenness before the Lord? Do you weep before him and say, I'm sorry, I wanted, I wanted to be better. I wanted to be obedient. My spirit was willing, my flesh was weak, and I failed. Will you please forgive me? Will you please help me to repent, help me to get up, and help me to follow Jesus? That's what Judas didn't do. But that's what Peter did do, and that's what makes the difference. Ultimately, when we think about our own walk with Christ, we shouldn't judge ourselves based on our willingness or our weakness, but our brokenness before him, our humility before him the mercy and grace and forgiveness that we've received in him. Peter wept and he repented and he came to see this as a pretty defining moment in his relationship with Jesus. I have to believe since he told it to Mark and made sure it was in his gospel. We can let this nourish our faith in Jesus and let this strengthen our allegiance to him. With all of our weakness, he still will use us for his kingdom. Whatever weakness you may have in your past, you can forget what lies behind you and press on toward the goal. If you will repentantly, humbly go to Jesus. That's really good news. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your mercy and grace and patience. Thank you for being aware of our weakness and for still using us for your kingdom and not giving up on us. Lord, you make clear to each person in here whether at the core of their heart is a hard, unrepentant rebellion against you or a soft, humble, repentant desire to conform to your ways. And by the grace and power of Jesus Christ, may we all be the latter. In Jesus' name, amen.